As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Episode 95, PT Money. Hey Chainers, welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Welsh. So Katie, today we've got a really special guest and that's Philip Taylor from PT Money, who's also the founder of FinCon. I am so excited that he was on the show But then I was also really sad because I didn't get to be on the call. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, Katie's recently started a job. So she's unfortunately going to be on a couple less podcasts than she's been on before. But we're still going to make them happen where we can. Yeah. I'm (laughs) really trying to figure out that. I don't want to call it work-life balance. More like work get home on time battling. Yeah. So. And sort of in that process, Katie, like we have to end up buying a car because it's that much further out. And like obviously living in DC, we've managed to get by without a car. So we're busy looking into that now. So we actually want to ask you, Chainers, what car would you recommend that we buy? Like what's great value for money? You can hit us up. It's at Chain of Wealth on Twitter, or you can email us. It's info at chainofwealth.com. Yeah, because we are definitely on the car hunt. Uh, They shut down the blue line for anybody that doesn't know. And it has taken me. I usually have been Ubering to get to work. So I'm not late because like just stresses me out first thing in the morning, which is not cheap. Like just start with that. And to get home, I've been taking the bus and the two trains like we have talked about then. Yeah. And with them shutting the blue line down. It's taken me like two hours to get home. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. So if you've got any kind of recommendation, don't forget to email us or tweet us. Yeah, so that's why I'm not on this call. I'm so sad, but I was trying to figure out how to get home. Yeah, (laughs) but I mean, the call is absolutely great. PT Money's a fantastic dude, really cool guy. Excited to meet him at FinCon. And if you still want to grab some tickets, head on over to chainofwealth.com slash FinCon. There you can see some more information. All right, okay, are you ready to dive right into the show? Yeah. Fantastic. Let's do it. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. 
Hey Chainers, welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today we have Philip Taylor with us, or as he's more commonly known by his website, PT Money. He's been blogging about personal finance since 2007. He's also the founder of FinCon, the annual financial conference, which boasts over 2,000 attendees, and he started that in 2011. Philip has both a flair for money inspired by his father, who's also a CPA, and a gift for writing, which stems from his mother, who's also a writer. Welcome, PT. Dennis, thanks for having me. Super pumped to have you on the show. So, a bit of a random question for you. If you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I was thinking about this and I, I sort of like the bear uh, because he likes to uh, wrestle. Maybe I do that with my kids and I'm, I, I enjoy a good sleep. So so maybe a bear or maybe even a night owl since I'm uh, I'm oftentimes up, up very late. It's actually funny. I was chatting with uh, Katie last night about um, getting a new car because she's now got a job that's a little bit further away. And, you know, we've been doing public transport living in D.C., and it's now sort of reached that point that we're like, we should probably get a car because it's a bit further away. Mm. And we kind of reflected back to winter. And she was like, we were like a bear in winter. You know, we just like <laughs> never went out the apartment. It was too cold. So I can completely relate with the whole wanting to be a bear thing. <laughs> Hibernation has its has its uh, benefits. <laughs> it definitely does. Like even like ordering stuff online and stuff. You're like, I just don't want to leave the apartment. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty funny, like in the intro, like I spoke about that you're basically the product of your parents' two professions. So I have to ask, what made you kind of made the transition from being a CPA into blogging and how's that looking for you? Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I literally just uh, stumbled upon it and am so thankful now that I found it and I found that outlet and it's become my business. And so it's uh, it's a really cool thing that's happened to my life. It's not something I set out to do when I graduated high school in 1994. Uh, blogging wasn't one of the professions that I could sign up for. So to have found it uh, when I did in 2007 was really cool. Um, so the story goes like this. I mean, my dad was a CPA, like you said, and accountant. It. And so coming out of high school, I really didn't have a, a desire to do anything in particular other than play NFL football. Um, and that wasn't going to happen. Once I realized that wasn't going to happen, um, you know, figuring out a career kind of made sense. And my dad always appreciated uh, his stability with his CPA and with his career. And so I saw that as a great avenue to pursue. And so I went after the CPA um, and accounting license uh, and I'm glad I did that. But I spent a few years in that profession, either in public accounting or internal auditing. And I just wasn't getting a lot of satisfaction from it personally. Um, It was paying well. I was meeting some cool people, got to do some good travel, but ultimately it just wasn't my own thing and it didn't have the autonomy and independence that I was craving in my life. Um, And so blogging was something that was coming on in 2001, 2002. I did a little bit of dabbling in some uh, with a running blog. Uh, So I was familiar with the medium, but uh, it was 2007 after spending a couple of years just getting absolutely obsessed with following personal finance bloggers that I finally turned from consumer to creator and uh, discovering that I had my own voice, you know, big enough to share with the world. And so that's what I started doing in 2007. So it's something that just kind of came out of nowhere for me, but um, I'm glad I stumbled upon it and was inspired by those early bloggers early on um, to eventually uh, start crafting my own posts. 
it's amazing the difference that it makes when you kind of feel this urge to scratch your own itch, you know, and you kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, I like this idea, but it's not quite what I want it to be. Let me try and make it my own. And like doing it that way, you're able to sort of get a, a stronger message across and really connect with people a lot more than just if you kind of just like did it and not really thought about it. Absolutely. And I discovered, you know, through that career that I just wasn't really talented with the one-on-one client relationships. Um, and through that self-awareness, I discovered there's got to be a way for me to, you know, to reach more people uh, just in a different way. Um, and uh, my introverted nature led me to the, the blog and writing um, and, and leaning on that side of my uh, skill set. And so, yeah. So did you dive right into it or did you sort of like start it on the side and sort of build it up until you were making some money from it? Sure. Yeah. I started on the side in 2007 and I did that for three years actually uh, before I took it full time. Um, And I just used my nights and weekends uh, whenever I found some spare time, even on lunch breaks to write articles for the website. And it kind of had a slow start. It wasn't didn't come out of the gate blazing, but then, uh, about December of that next year, I started feeling some traction with the articles they were starting to get picked up, um, getting some comments, other people were referencing them. And then also there was this community of personal finance bloggers that had sort of pulled me into this space that were then starting to comment. And we hung out in online forums and started sharing ideas. And it really became this sort of community that I was including myself in that, uh, inspired me to take it a little more seriously and, and pour more into it. And I would say four months after that, so it was, it was like April of the second year, um, you know, I was actually starting to actually make money from the blog and really attract a good audience. Um, and then I just continued from there, just my passion for the, for the content, for the subject matter of personal finance continued to grow. Um, I discovered that the blog was helping me with my finances, meaning it was holding me accountable. I was sharing my goals on there publicly. Um, and I was being continued to be inspired by other people. Um, and so it just, the act of recording it, documenting it, journaling it all, uh, really had a positive effect on my life. And so I just wanted more of that. I really appreciate the word you used community when you describe mm-hmm. the personal finance bloggers. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what it is. I'm, I'm not sure what it is that connects personal finance bloggers and podcasters so much. I'm going to say maybe the fact that it's a bit of a taboo subject and typically these people are sharing intimate details about their lives. You know, what are your thoughts on that? I was going to say the same thing. That's exactly it. It's, it's money. <laughs> money's, money is the last taboo. And we're the crazy people on the internet willing to have that conversation and talk about it. And in some cases, really share intimate details. You know, I started just as PT Money as someone anonymous uh, so that I could be a little more forthcoming with my financial information. Um, I've slowly revealed myself, you know, t- as to my true identity through the years. But uh, it was definitely that that early um you know, that basically breaking down the walls of this subject, which I think in general, millennials are a lot better at, you know, than Gen Xers like me. Um, so people your age and younger, I think are more, more oftentimes willing to have this conversation, which is inspiring for me to see a more and more people come into this space and sharing, sharing their details. Um, because those details are what makes the difference, uh, 
I think in people's lives because they because people who are reading or listening or following can attach themselves to those specific stories. We've got enough generic money stories from the Money Magazine or from you know CNBC. We can read the, all the six ways to make extra money kind of kind of articles out there, but um, it's the personal stories that people can attach themselves to. And so I think it's it's not only uh, attracted us to each other, but it's actually having a real positive effect on the world. I think. I was actually listening to the um, Marketing School podcast with uh, Neil Patel and Eric Sue. I think it was last week. Anyway, like one of the things they said is, you know, with when it comes to content, there is so much generic stuff out there. It's definitely the personal stories that actually seem to make it through the news. And I, I think that they said that they analyzed the sort of stats of posts that were personal versus posts that are sort of more generic in nature. And I think they had about an eight times higher engagement on posts that were personal. Wow. So, I wouldn't doubt it. Yep, yep. Yeah. And I, and I think a mixture of both, like I'm a, I'm a practical guy. So a story's great, but if it's got, a, if it's a story plus like steps you can take for you personally, that's even better. And so I like, I like kind of the hybrid approach. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about FinCon. So what inspired you to start the conference and what were the early days like? Yeah, you know, it was really just discovering this community of people online that I wanted to surround myself with. And uh, and so what better way to do that than to bring them all in person, right? We're still human after all. And uh, these digital relationships can only take you so far. So it's cool to get together in person with people. And so I had been to a few other events and met some of these folks. And just those little touch points inspired me to be the one to say, hey, I'll throw the first party and get us all involved. And uh, it was really cool because there was a community before FinCon existed um, and the event really just as much as possible tried to give that community ownership uh, to to come to the event speak participate add different elements to the event um, it was a it was something that I thought maybe 50 100 folks would show up to we had that in Chicago back in 2011 I uh, never planned that event myself before um, so I was very nervous about that but um, we worked through the details and I was really just obsessed with serving these people because they had done so much for me through those years, helping me to um, not only help fix my financial life, but then become a full-time blogger. And so, um, you know, giving back to them in this way and, and also creating a, an additional business for myself was was really exciting. So um, we had ended up having 200 people at that first event. J.D. Roth, Pat Flynn, folks like that were beneficial, were uh, nice enough to uh, participate and, and do keynotes for me there. We had all of our advertising partners show up to do sponsorships and exhibitors. Um, so it just ended up being a fantastic time in Chicago. And we all said after the end of the event, let's keep this party going. And so it's been an annual event ever since. And we'll have our eighth one in Orlando this fall. And I'll have to see you there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Awesome. So what unusual advice do you have for creators of content? So we have a lot of personal finance bloggers that listen to the show and podcasters and even vloggers. So what would you sort of say is something unusual that they haven't heard before? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say uh, a couple of things. Um, you know, if you're not in our personal finance niche, you may not get the vibe of, hey, get, a, get into a community. And so I would say, first off, as much as possible, tap into a community. See it as a... Uh, 
you know, is the, is the pie is big enough, right? Have an abundance mindset when it comes to sharing ideas with other bloggers and, and these people, your competitors, but look, look at them as collaborators in as many ways as possible and be willing to give just as much as you get in those relationships. And then secondly, I would say there's been a real focus on really niching down your topic uh, and, and, and sort of trying to find a more niche audience. I think there's value in that, but make sure you're not niching it down to a degree uh, that it's not something you want to continue doing. And so the way I've lasted for so long that doing this more than 10 years at PT Money is because I give myself permission to write on a pretty broad variety of topics. And so even if you start maybe as a niche and get known for something initially, I would say don't be afraid then to expand into other areas so that you remain interested in the subject long enough for it to stick and long enough for you to find success. Blogging is a long time, long term game. Um, and so it's going to take you a while to get that traction and you know, maybe start niche, but then don't be afraid to expand so that you continue to do it. It definitely makes sense, but become a master of something because before you become a jack of all trades. <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. So do you have any money mistakes that you wish you could undo? Uh, me personally, I would say trying entrepreneurship uh, a little earlier on. Entrepreneurship, the money of the uh, sorry, the income side of the equation is something that has uh, radically changed my life in a quick way. And so, uh, I would have probably tried some. I would have wanted to try some businesses early on. Um, secondly, I would probably say trying automation for my savings early on as well. I didn't start that until my late, uh, mid to late twenties. And so I, there was six or seven years there where I was earning income, but wasn't automatically stashing some away, paying myself first. And that's a big mantra for me now. So to look back and think there were probably six or seven wasted years of income where I wasn't paying myself first, um, really pains me a little bit, but, um, cause you know, obviously there's a time value of money. And, uh, if I had started earlier with my savings efforts, uh, who knows how far along I would have been. But um, yeah, so those are some of the things I think about when I think about the past. I mean, I'm certainly happy with where I am now and, and, and my decisions ultimately led me to where I am now. So I'm cool with that. But those are two areas I probably wish to tweak a little better. It's kind of one of the caveats of being a personal finance blogger. You, you realize that cost of compounding and how much you've been missing out on and sort of you're looking back and you think, oh no, <laughs> I don't <laughs> even want to do the math of those extra couple of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But now I have three kids and so I just think, well, I can make it up by you know helping them to, to become savers really early on yeah, and exactly. then uh, making it back up to the universe somehow that way. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Start those uh, student loan plans early. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So you had a section on your website all about robo advisors. So what are they and what do people need to know about them? Yeah, a robo advisors unfortunately got that name. They should have been called robo investors, in my opinion. Uh, they don't necessarily give advice other than most of them are set up to where they're focused on passive, uh, diversified, long term mindset retirement investing, which I think is ultimately a positive thing. And the financial industry should focus on that for 99% of people um, and their future. So I do like that robo advisors, you know, have sort of that inherent uh, education piece into them, but really all they do is robo invest for you. So they, you know, take your money and automatically, you know, invest it for you in, in a variety of funds, po really positive funds, typically, uh, meaning low cost, um, 
and uh, and diversified. Um, and then they, uh, you know, continue to keep your account up to date, meaning they do, do things like uh, uh, tax loss harvesting. If you have any of that, they do things like uh, uh, rebalancing. So they kind of keep you up to date through the years and, uh, and they kind of keep it going automatically versus you having to kind of come back to it and rethink about it. So I like the pay yourself first sort of automation type of system that they've got set up. Um, the downside, if you just compare it to generally the DIY investing, the downside is that they do charge a little bit extra uh, for that service. And you could really replicate the same system on your own by going directly to someone like a Vanguard or Fidelity. And that's not necessarily an endorsement by me, but that is who I use, uh, Vanguard, to go buy my own funds there. Now, Vanguard funds typically have uh, a minimum to get into. And so oftentimes people can't meet that minimum initially. You could start a cash account with Vanguard, uh, but oftentimes just say, hey, just go start with someone like a Betterment or RoboAdvisor to kick things off, get you in the habit of uh, really positive in, in retirement investing, automate it. And then once you maybe get enough money in that fund, then maybe start something over at Vanguard uh, separately with one of their funds directly through a Roth IRA or, uh, and I know it went over a lot there, but generally speaking, I'm very positive on robo advisors for upstart investors, people who want to focus on their retirement investing from the start. Um, but then realize that you're paying extra for some services that you could probably ultimately do on your own one day. And so work yourself into a position where you don't necessarily need a robo advisor. And again, think about um, the fact that they're not actually technically advising you down the road. There's lots more to think about when it comes to your financial future. And so I myself invest time and money working with a, a real financial advisor or human. Um, every five years I do a, I do a check with a, uh, certified financial planner, a fee-only person where I pay them a single fee to look at my situation and give me advice and then I move on with my life. Um, and so those are some things to think about when it comes to robo-advising. Um, yeah, so I appreciate you mentioning that. Well, it was actually a question because I haven't actually looked into robo-advisors at all. So I thought it's a good time to ask if you've written articles about them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Chainers, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value and ground. Chainers, if you are thinking about attending FinCon, head on over to chainofwealth.com slash FinCon. FinCon's happening September 26th to the 29th of 2018, and it's going to be happening in Orlando, Florida. So definitely check it out. It's going to be a ton of fun. There's over 200 speakers with a huge bunch of keynotes. I myself am going to be speaking on the Friday at about one o'clock. Still need to check my schedule. But yeah, chainofwealth.com slash FinCon if you still don't have a ticket. So PT, what would you say is your saving or retirement plan? My saving or retirement plan historically has been to max out my annual limits on my retirement accounts. Um, I've been inspired by seeing other people keep that as a focus. Um, and so that's kind of motivated me. I want to pay as little in taxes as I can. And so I use tax advantaged accounts like my 401k or a traditional IRA, things like that to basically shelter my income into these retirement accounts. So to be totally honest with you, I've used these tax advantage moments to push me towards saving more. Um, ultimately, my goal is to have enough money in when I choose to stop earning income so that I can withdraw some money from that account each year so that that money will last me for the rest of my life. And I won't have to depend on a relative or the federal government or anyone else to bail me out of that situation. So when 
whenever I get to an age where, you know, I can no longer produce income, I want to be able to withdraw that in my own income from a retirement account. So that's really my focus uh, is, is getting to that point. Now, um, I am a, a happy self-employed business owner here. And so I really just enjoy kind of my life as it is. And so I'm not necessarily trying to escape anything to go to early retirement or early financial independence. But if we reach a financial independent point soon, sooner, that's great. But I'll probably continue like doing the things in my life that I just enjoy. And so I guess ultimately that's, that's kind of the two, my two goals is, is to have my retirement set up so where I don't have to depend on anyone else and then get to financial freedom as fast as possible. Um, and both of the, and, and both, uh, those things, I think, work in tandem, and they're both uh, a result of me trying to max out those retirement accounts and savings accounts uh, early on in my life. Yeah, and if you're doing what you enjoy, why change anything? You're not necessarily done if you've reached your number, per se. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So do you have any other books or podcasts you can recommend? I'm sure you've got a ton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly uh, checking out new financial podcasts. Um, I, uh, you know, who, who doesn't enjoy Paula Pants afford anything podcast? I really like her and she's, she's done a lot of good work through the years in terms of books. Um, I really enjoy, uh, Ramit Sethi's I will teach you to be rich. I think that's a great starter guide for anyone. Um, who's kind of younger than 30 who's looking to fix their financial life. Additionally, I'm going to throw out uh, David Bach's Automatic Millionaire. That book really inspired me early on uh, in my mid-20s, late-20s to uh, automate my finances and to start paying myself first and kind of hack that part of my life so that I ensure that I'm saving for myself, my future self, uh, automatically each month. So those are my two recommendations. Fantastic. So do you have a favorite quote you like to live by? You know, I'm not really a quote guy. So... Um, so, you know, my mom used to tell me, this is something I think about a lot, though. Um, she used to tell me, clean desk, clean mind. So whenever I leave my office uh, all the time, I try to clear my desk so so that uh, the next day when I come in, I kind of have a clear mind for it. So maybe that is a pro productivity quote from my mom there for you. Yep, there you go. That works. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any other parting piece of advice for our listeners? And then we'll say goodbye. Yeah. Um, no, just uh, thanks for having me on. And I, I guess I would say to your audience, um, you know, ultimately what's worked for me in, in getting me to a really positive place with my money is uh, is I, as I made my future self and my and my goals for my future a uh, a priority. And then I set up a system in my automated savings to make that happen. And so I don't rely on daily um a mentality daily or even monthly or weekly or whatever to, to sort of get the energy or motivation to fix my finances. It's happening automatically in the background. And so in some way, if you can figure that out for yourself, hack your, hack your money as much as possible, um, try to do that. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure having you. Cheney's we've been here with Philip Taylor. You can check out his website. It's ptmoney.com and also check out finconexpo.com. These are definitely two sites you should be checking out.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.